On this week's episode of the podcast, I tell Drew the story of a king and a kingdom, the likes of which has rarely been seen in the game of soccer. Were you talking like Rome, like a little Julius Caesar? Well, I guess he was never a king, really. Okay, he was like, there was a triumvirate, and there was, and then he was kind of an epic. You know what? We're, we're just going to get into all of that. Okay. So buckle up, because this is Deadball Brothers. Welcome to Deadball Brothers, a weekly podcast about soccer and history with a healthy, healthy dose of stupidity. Part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and brought to you by me, your host, everybody's favorite soccer content person, Adam Whitaker Snavely, joined as always by my real life brother. What up, people? <laughs> Drew Snavely. <laughs> We're feeling good today. Nothing's going to bring us down. What up? People, <laughs> de- de- definitely not a a twenty two penalty kick shootout in the Europa League final. Yeah, it, definitely not going to bring you down. It's not like we literally just watched the Europa League final. Just something to really, really get you in the mood to record a podcast. Yeah, really set it off for all you Manchester you United a, fans. Put out you there. in a really good mood. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely love it. It's a good thing that I'm telling the story this uh, this week. I think I, for for everybody's sake, but mostly for Drew's sake. You know, um, it's I guess you could call it a silver lining. But hey, playing in the Champions League next year, baby! So coming for the crown there. Yeah, and that's all that matters. Yeah, keep keep that energy. Europa Schmeropa. <laughs> that's what they say. That's what they say. I hear they say that. <laughs> <laughs> but but in all honesty, congrats to. Villarreal. Yeah, congrats um, to Villarreal. It's first a- ever European Cup that they've won. Yep, and they now great. are in the Champions League. Crazy. Which they weren't before. No. They didn't qualify via La Liga. I, I think they did pretty well, though. They finished top half. Yeah, they did. I And I, I'd be interested. I'm not sure because there was that whole thing where UEFA was talking about banning Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Juventus for the Super League thing. Have they dropped out of the Super League thing yet? I don't know if they have for real, for real, at this point in yeah, time. Yeah, I don't. Th- I haven't seen anything. Yet um, and and I think that UEFA was talking about punishing them by by banning them from the Champions League next year. Yeah, they should. Um, they should so, ban all of the clubs. So if if that takes away two of the Spanish clubs participating in the Champions League next year, I don't know. I don't have the La Liga standings in front of me. I don't know if Villarreal would have qualified then, but. They are definitely in, for sure, for sure. Yes, yes. And so is Atleti. Yep. And they dropped out of the Super Cup pretty and early. Probably One of the first teams. Sevilla? I, Sevilla. Probably. Valencia. Valencia. <laughs> probably some of those teams. Real Betis. I don't know. Maybe. I don't think Betis is in there. You don't think so? I don't think so. Probably not. I don't know. I don't believe it. They were good a couple of years ago. Yeah. Maybe not this year, though. Overly reliant on Mexican talent, I think. Why? Why? Andres Guardado, Diego Lainez, the guy that Matt Miazga made fun of his height. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Diego (laughs) Lainez. That guy. Oh, man. What a clip. (laughs) Matt Miazga is such like a a frat bro douche. He really is. (laughs) Like 100%. (laughs) Like, that's that's the only way to describe. I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're offended by that, but 
but that's the only way to describe him really. Like that's just that's just the type of person he he gives off in all facets of his life. At least he doesn't really have a future in the U- USMNT. That's We've not got, true. You don't think Burr so? Burr loves him. I know, but Burr loves Zardes and didn't include Zardes and but Matt Miazga was included. Oh, Miazga was included. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Especially because Aaron Long uh I think tore his Achilles. Oh, or yeah, something I like saw that. that. I saw so, that. So, yeah. Terrible. Terrible. It, it is awful. Get well soon, Aaron Long. Like, very hopeful that yeah. you're uh, going to be able to recover. It super sucks for Aaron Long because Aaron Long has wanted to move to Europe for forever. Yes. And the Red Bulls have just kind of like, nah. Been terrible, yeah. Whenever anybody has come calling. And now it's just like, probably not going to happen ever. Yeah. Because he's like 27, 28. Yeah. And Achilles is a nasty injury. And so oh, yeah. Of, it takes, like, I mean, yeah, it takes a long time. So, so get well soon, Aaron Long. Uh, that's that's terrible news. Come back stronger. Um, sure you will. Matt Miazga, I wish I had more faith in you. <laughs> in general. Do you think he starts alongside Brooks? Uh, I hope not, but uh, yeah, I think he does. That's really too bad. It really but is too it, bad. It's too bad, but this is the strongest squad that the United States men's national team has ever brought into a CONCACAF. That's probably true. I would I tournament. I think I would agree with that. I think I would agree with that in terms of especially the the names, like the club names. Yeah. Of people participating. And the, the US has never entered a tournament and been like, "Oh yeah, we have a starting midfielder for Juventus and yeah. a defender is playing for Barcelona." Like that's just never happened no. straight up. Never. Never never. Uh, I mean, uh, regular player for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, RB Leipzig is good now, and they have been for the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Still one of the best teams in Europe. A starter for Dortmund. We we have, or or a starter slash significant tr- contributor for yeah, Dortmund, which yeah. we've had in the past, and we just kind of swapped out. Definitely. And got a new one. Backup goalkeeper for Premier League <laughs> champions. Manchester City. Man, we sure do. <laughs> and we have the starting striker for Young Boys Football Club in Switzerland. Shout really, out Jordan Sipichu. Really sad that DK missed out. Me too. I know that Burhalter said form was the reason that he didn't include him on the CONCACAF Nations League roster. But form doesn't make any sense, like whatsoever, because he scored more goals than Sipichu did. Um, yes. And it makes me think that possibly, probably, maybe I, I don't have, I don't have inside info on this. So, so I, I know that like, I, I am a, a journalist at times and I, I know people in the American soccer sphere and I'm bloody blob. I don't have any inside info on this. This is purely me speculating. I think that probably, there's probably some some transfer stuff happening. And that's why. Okay. I would I would guess because the form thing just just makes zero sense. Yeah. Ab- like complete zero sense. He scored more goals than Sibichu. He scored more goals than <laughs> he scored more go- more goals than Josh Sargent did this entire than season any, than in any half the season. Striker in the yeah. USMN yep. T pool mm-hmm. outside of like I I think that Burhalter really, really likes Daryl DK. And I seriously doubt that purely form 
is the reason that he's not on the Champions League on the on the Concacaf Nations League. Yes, because it doesn't make sense. I highly doubt yes. that. Yes. So I think there's other things happening, but who knows? Who it, knows? It's, that's all speculation on my part. Yeah, but but that's that's currently that's how I'm reading the situation. Okay. Speaking of reading, yeah, Drew, it has been a long time since we have read some listener reviews on this here long. podcast. Yes, and we need to bring that back because some people have been going out of their way to drop us some haiku reviews. You know, some people have gone so far out of their way to just create an account on that podcast, mm-hmm. title it haiku from me to you as the us- as the username yes and then leave us a rating and review heck yeah and so because of that i feel like it is on us it is to on us. give a shout out to haiku from me to you who is <laughs> the literal username for somebody who reviewed our podcast and gave us an excellent haiku and so it's titled we're here for the weird a review and haiku from me to you. Two brothers from Bath, mostly just sharing some laughs, sprinkled with some stupid. All kidding aside, you guys come correct with the lighthearted humor and humanity the soccer fan base often lacks. From one upstate New Yorker to two others, keep on keeping on, my guys. Uh, we love the upstate New York love. We love the upstate New York love. And you're, Drew, you're, you're about to go back. I know. It's you're about to be an upstate New Yorker again. It's a it's a homecoming for sure. Which is neato. Drew Drew recently got a, a new job, which currently is still remote, but we'll take him back fairly close to our hometown, yeah, yeah. which is pretty cool uh, and great for him. It's not as great for me, but that's okay. I'm still happy. Well, you, and you might you're you're probably looking to move sometime. Yeah, soon-ish. we yeah we're. we're We've got plans. We've got, got plans, we've got talks. Got I haven't, I haven't made any public announcements yeah, about no, that. Excited sort of for thing, the move but... back. Um, it's nice to be closer to the roots. Excited for the next chapter. Absolutely. I feel like LeBron. <laughs> I'm coming home. <laughs> <I'm> coming home. <laughs> um, one more thing before we get into the story today. Uh, we did have the the climactic conclusion too. WTFBL2, Dead Ball and You. Yes, we did. Our FPL Fantasy Premier League League. Uh, a big, hearty congratulations to James Chubb and his team, not COVID 19 forever, who won our league and our Away Days football gift card uh, with a grand total of 2,464 points, beating what a out. Season. Beating out Jonathan Cates and uh, Big Dyke Energy for with 2,405 points. A good pun on Virgil van Dyke's name, it must be said. Um, I did want to shout out one other great pun I saw that finished in the top 10. Number 8, Connor Siegel, Glizzy McGuire SC. <laughs> Such a great name. <laughs> Glizzy McGuire SC. I, I love it. I, I, I can't get enough of it. Um, in the Snavely Derby, uh, me, myself, Adam Snavely, and my team, Cancelo Culture, did beat Drew's team by a grand total of one point. I finished in 11th place, just outside the top 10. Drew finished in 12th. Uh, that bench boost and the myself, of a very clutch Sadio Mane cheeky captain that I threw in there, uh, got got the job done, sealed the deal on that. And... 
I benched Kufal on the last week as a last-minute change, left 10 points on the bench, which would have done enough to squeak out the victory. But not laying down the sword yet, not waving the white flag. Um, I have been in contact with FPL Legal um, just to make sure that every point has been counted Mm, to ensure... That doesn't feel good. (laughs) To ensure that... The the results of this long and grueling fantasy Premier League season is entirely accurate. Because Drew, I mean Drew, to finish one point one point to separate us after thirty-eight incredibly long weeks just feels so wrong. Drew, if we can't have faith in our FPL point counting systems, what can we have faith in? That's true. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Um, our our other brother Luke Snavely, who is also in the league and and expressed his displeasure at not being mentioned in our original Snavely Derby tweet, um, finished in thirty fourth place, uh, a couple hundred points, top half, top half of the table must be said, <laughs> a couple hundred points below us. Um, uh, his team name was sixty nine bills sixty nine, <laughs> keeping the brand strong. Nice. <laughs> oh man, We're, but yes. Uh, that is it. That that is it's done and dusted yes. for FPL. Yes. Uh, thank you everybody for playing. Uh, maybe WTF three L next season. I like it. Who knows? I like it. It's a good name. Yeah, it's, it's great, catchy. Great name. It's catchy. Yeah. Um, but that I think is it for for talking shop and. Uh, Drew, we ready to get into the, yeah, the history? Yeah. It's been it's been Be- a minute because so. this is a history podcast. It is a history podcast. Oh, podcast (laughs) first and foremost so yeah you have a story today about a kingdom and a king and teased it yes as a a story about a king i'm incredibly fascinated yes and it is a little bit of a weird way to to open it in a sports podcast sports history yes must be said yes um but Lots of myths and legends typically revolve around kings and their kingdoms, uh, their exploits, and sometimes even their upbringings, if they're of humble origin. Often, where a ruler comes from is equally important to what the ruler himself does or how long he manages to last on his throne. Uh, You see that a lot in like the legends about King Arthur, who is one of the most legendary kings of all time. Also because he probably wasn't real. I think that's kind of the most the the mainline historical thought was that the King Arthur myths are just myths and that that person probably didn't exist. Yes. Um but the particular king we're talking about today on this here podcast, this particular king was born in a city named Shizuoka. Okay. And where is said city? It is along the eastern coast of Japan. Ah, oh. which I did look up and practice how to pronounce Shizuoka. I was gonna say you seem very confident with that pronunciation. It is interesting. Um, it's it's not. It's not that it, it it's a difficult word to pronounce per se. I looked up the actual pronunciation and uh, like the of the IPA. Uh, of how you pronounce this it's that there's a bunch of uh in japanese there's a bunch of uh tonal changes that are considered important 
um, that don't really occur in English. In English, your tone doesn't really come into pronunciation of words. Okay. Um, so IPA, which is the uh, basically a, a standardized alphabet of sounds yes. to, to help describe what something sounds like. Um, in English, there are no arrows to indicate your tone. Yes. But in Japanese, there are. Uh, which occurs in this. So basically, in the middle of the word, I encountered a arrow pointing downward. And I was like, what the heck is that? I've never seen it before. And I looked it up, and it says, oh, your tone shifts down. That's the way this is pronounced in this language. Language. So the first half is shizu, and the last half is oka. And it's like supposed to be a shizuoka. Like like your your tone is supposed to go down. Yes. So I did figure out i know i'm i feel like we're we're trending away from our roots of mispronouncing everything on this podcast but i did try i did make a real that, honest yeah, effort no that that's great and that was a very lengthy explanation it really it. was i'm sorry i did a little english nerd thing yeah hey it's fine here yes um so this particular king was born in shizuoka japan in the 60s it was a relatively small city but grew and grew until eventually merging with close by Shimizu City to create one of the largest municipalities in Japan by area. Not by uh, population, per se, but in terms of how big it was, one of the largest. Uh, it was around, I think, in population today. It's around, like, the 17th largest city in okay. Japan, something like that. Okay. Um, it's located halfway between Nagoya to the west and Tokyo to the northeast, and residents of Shizuoka can easily see one of Japan's most famous locales from the city, Mount Fuji. Ah, oh, very fun. Yep. It was here in 1967 that a boy named Kazuyoshi Miura, uh, yeah, Miura, was born. Now, we have covered Japanese soccer exactly one time before on this show, I believe. And that's when we talked about Captain Tsubasa, the cartoon. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Do you remember anything from that episode? I'm going to be, I'm going to love with you. It's been so long. I, I do not remember a lot. That's fair. Um, it was I a do, really, it was a really, really long time. I was going to say, I do remember that Captain Tsubasa inspired a generation of soccer players in yes. Japan. Yes. And elsewhere. And in other places. Um, so basically, for a long, long time, the, 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 the cliff notes of the Captain Tsubasa episode was that basically for a long, long time, soccer wasn't really a popular sport at all in Japan. And this cartoon helped kickstart its popularity as well as inspired soccer players around the globe. Because um, it wasn't just popular in Japan. It was popular. It was hugely popular in South America. Uh, and even in some European places as well. So what you basically need to know is that historically, soccer as a game in Japan, almost a little bit like the United States. Like it's existed, but didn't really take off or become popular until like the early 90s, okay. roundabout, yeah. something like that. Um, so it wasn't very popular. For a long, long time. And in 1967, still wasn't super popular. Um, just wasn't played very much in general in, in the country. Um, so 
soccer in the city of Shizuoka, however, was something of an outlier in the country because it did enjoy a certain popularity there. Uh, and even before soccer became more of a mainstream sport in Japan, soccer apparently was played in Shizuoka a little bit more to the point that um, the Japanese national team didn't become fully professional until the early 90s. But in 1994, nearly half of the Japanese national team, 10 of like the 23 players that comprised the normal call-ups for the Japanese national team were from Shizuoka. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Yeah. Because... 17th largest city. Yes. I, I actually did the comparison, and it's basically like if half of the U.S. national team were all from Indianapolis. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> which, is not, which is not the case. Which is not what is occurring. No, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the traditional... It's almost like a, something of an ancestral home. For for soccer, uh, it was popular in Shizuoka before it was popular in a much larger, broader sense in Japan. Um, as far as I understood what I read. Now, the the guy that we discussed earlier being born in 1967, Kazuyoshi, his family was part of the soccer craze. Despite a professional league in Japan still being 20 years into the future, there was no professional league in Japan. Yeah. Until actually like two or three, I think three years before MLS started was when the J League started. Okay. So so there was no, there were some amateur competitions and some like semi-pro teams, but no professional soccer in Japan at all. So despite that, Kazuyoshi's father and older brother were both in love with the game. In 1970, when Kazuyoshi was only three years old, his father actually traveled to Mexico to watch the 1970 World Cup. Okay. That World Cup just so happened to be the first time a country ever won the World Cup outside of their home continent. When Brazil and a 30-year-old Pele stormed to the country's third title, losing zero games in the tournament and running through the quarterfinals against Peru by a score of 4-2, to two, the semis against Uruguay by three to one and smacking down Italy in the final by a score of four to one. They scored 19 goals in six games over the course of the full tournament. It's pretty decent. Yeah. They crushed everybody that I, tournament. I mean, yeah, it might not be their home continent, but it's about as close as you can get to your home continent without being in your home continent. Yeah, and I also think I'm pretty sure that that was the first World Cup that did not take place in South America or, or Europe. Europe. Yeah. So it would make sense. Mexico wasn't bad at the time. They were certainly the best team in North America yes. slash Central yes. America. Um, but they were still not going to beat a team like Brazil or even a team like Italy or probably England at that time. Yes. Now, things may be different depending on year to year. You expect Mexico to upset some of these teams, um, especially considering there's a lot of Mexican talent in Europe. Um, but at the time, it was kind of expected that a South American team or European team would take it. Brazil just happened to be the team that did it. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, Brazil were were dominant that tournament. Okay, they they scored a ton of goals. They it was it was just kind of a a an all you can eat buffet for Brazil. Okay, <laughs> at Mexico nineteen seventy. Yeah. Um, Kazuyoshi's father was there to watch them, and very very importantly, he filmed some of their some of Brazil's matches with an eight millimeter film camera. Oh. That he then developed and had as a video. Yeah. The Elder Miura brought this film home and developed it, and it soon became appointment viewing for him and his sons. Kazuyoshi, in particular, became obsessed with Brazilian soccer and the way that Brazil played the game. Um, he didn't have a ton of film to go on because his father, you know, it's not like he had tickets to every game. Like yeah. You yeah. only, you only can see so much and film so much. Um, but the tape that he did have, he watched endlessly throughout his childhood. And soon enough, Kazuyoshi was playing himself, growing into an attack minded player, a forward in okay. love with the game. There was just one problem. There was still no professional club to aspire to in Japan. We're now in the 80s. He is grown into a teenager, and he wants to be a pro soccer player. That's all he wants. Yes. He's obsessed with soccer. He has watched these Brazil tapes through and through that his dad took and, and, and can't, like, like, can't think of anything else to do. He just he wants to be a soccer player. But he's kind of reaching the point where... At this point, people in Europe or in South America are getting in with clubs, are going into people's academies, all that stuff. That doesn't exist in Japan. Okay, yeah, yeah. And so, like, what do you do? I don't know. What What do you do, Adam? What do, what <laughs> do you do? I'm glad you asked, Drew. You move to a different country. And for Kazuyoshi... As a 15-year-old, there was only one country he wanted to go to. Brazil. We are back for the second half of the podcast. Second half of the story. Adam, you were just telling me how Kazuyoshi had journeyed a long way. I mean, Japan all the way to Brazil is... Is quite a trip. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a long flight, I'd have to imagine. I mean, Drew, what were you doing at fifteen years old? Uh playing video games, probably playing Skyrim. Yeah, probably playing Skyrim, uh getting ready for J V soccer practice, maybe, yeah, yeah. like like that sort of thing. That was just the deal. Yeah. Um Kazuyoshi Miura was was traveling to Brazil to go try to be a professional soccer player. Yes. By himself. Yes. That's wild. That's insane to even consider for me. Yes. So yeah, at the age of 15, Kazuyoshi moved from Shizuoka, Japan, to Sao Paulo, Brazil, which we are familiar with. Great, great city. Because that is pretty close to where our mother was born. Yes. The first soccer soccer jersey I ever owned. Yes. Sao Paulo Football Club. Thank you, grandparents. It's crazy that he was allowed to go. Yes. As a 15-year-old to just Brazil. Yes. <laughs> as a Japanese boy who I'm assuming didn't really speak a ton of Portuguese. Nope. <laughs> Not even a little bit. 
Yeah. Um, so in the in the articles and the in the the research I did, um, it was apparently uh, Kazuyoshi's father had connections in Brazil, okay. uh, or or at least one. He had some sort of business or or something connection that allowed uh, Kazuyoshi a little bit of a safety net to to just go move, just go there. And try to make it with a club, basically. And so, as a 15-year-old, he went literally halfway across the world, like, opposite side. Yeah. If you look at the map, it's the opposite end. Yes. He probably went across the international date line. I would imagine that's probably the faster way. Yeah. Um, I was, was going to say, the Pacific Ocean is very large. It's vast. I was going to say vast. <laughs> but then I was like... I didn't want to say very vast because in my mind that just sounded stupid. Yeah. I still think that it would probably be, it would probably be quicker for him to travel east and just go across the international dateline across the Pacific to get to Brazil than it would be for him to try to travel all the way west. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, like things like the rotation of the earth. Come into play when you're flying for that things long. of that nature. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he went there. Basically, he went to Sao Paulo, and eventually, uh, he actually managed to get into academy, a club named Juventus. <laughs> um, okay. Which is not Italy's Juventus. Yes, I, I figured <laughs> since we're talking Brazil. No, uh, Juventus at the time was in the second tier of the Brazilian game. When Kazuyoshi got there. And actually, uh, I believe he got there in 1982, I think. And in 1983, Juventus completed the the club's greatest ever achievement, winning the Serie B. And actually getting into the top flight, which they were subsequently quickly relegated from. And the club still exists these days, but they, um, they don't even compete in national soccer championship anymore they, yeah. they they compete in the paulista state championship which is the the state that sao paulo is in okay they compete in like state regional championships basically yeah so they're pretty they're pretty far down yeah yeah, yeah. For they're, sure. they're down the ladder yeah um but at the time they were they were not like a great team per se uh but they were a team that was like up there ish here in the second division, yeah, yeah, slash yeah, yeah. even in the first division, even if it was at the bottom of the first division. Um, so he managed to get in with this club. Uh, now, Kazuyoshi was thrust into the rigors of the youth game, living in the dormitory, with, living in a dormitory, I should say, with other players around his age. Like around, the article said, said like 15 to 20 was, was the ages, and he was 15. Yeah. So he'd be right at the young, right at the bottom of that ladder. Yes. Uh, basically. He, he spoke little to no Portuguese at okay. the time. Makes and he sense. was just, makes sense. Yeah. He, he did not have any need. I was going to say, I got chow down. I can say chow. Yeah. Chow. Adi, uh, Agua. Obrigado. Uh, yeah. Obrigado. Obrigado. Obrigada. Uh, queijo. <laughs> How you gave you is very, very important. That's a very important thing to say. Also a very important thing to know. All to all of our listeners, if you want to know if you want to know the phrases you need to know, uh ask anybody for Pajikeju. Yeah. And 
you'll probably be fine. I'm guessing. Yes. I'll, I'm guessing he'll probably, probably be fine. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, he didn't speak much at all Portuguese because he's been living in Japan his whole life. So why would you need to ever speak Portuguese? Yes. Um, he probably learned a couple words. Uh, it's not like he was living in like the 1800s. Like, you know, this is the eighties at this point. Um, so he could get a dictionary or something and figure some things out. Um, because he would definitely, definitely need to figure a couple things out. Um, now, he did learn more Portuguese. He actually became fluent. Okay. Uh, and he also managed to make friends with teammates slash other people in the academy because it was a vital part of achieving his dream. As I said before, at 15 years old, he said, I want nothing more than to be a professional soccer player. Yeah. And so he did everything he could, including, I'm going to go to Brazil. I'm going to learn the language. I'm going to be friends with everybody else. Because he didn't have anything else. When asked if he ever had a plan B or other career option he wanted to try, if soccer didn't pan out, he couldn't come up with an answer. I don't have any idea, he told the BBC in 2020. All I wanted was to be a football player. So this is the hardest question to answer. <laughs> he went to Brazil with no plan B whatsoever. Yes. He just said, I'm going to make it here. I love it. That's wild. <laughs> you know, you got to bet on yourself. And he did. He bet on himself so hard. Yes. So hard. So he basically got to grinding uh, and went through Club Atletico Juventus youth system for several years. And after a few years of, of just making attempts, he never made, as far as I can tell, he didn't ever make a senior appearance with Juventus. But... After a few years with them, he got his big break. He signed his very first professional soccer contract, fulfilling his dream he'd always had. And he didn't just sign any contract. He signed with Santos. What? Yeah. Yeah. Santos went out and signed him. Oh, my gosh. Which is a big, big deal. Yeah, that's what's up. If you if you don't know who Santos is, listener, you, if you're not familiar with Brazilian soccer, Santos is... One of the most famous, if not the most famous, club team in Brazil. They are the club of Pele, who he played. He played for Santos his entire career, and then he played for the New York Cosmos for yes. like a couple years at the end of his career. But Santos was his thing. It was also the club of Neymar. It's a club of countless, really, really talented Brazilian soccer players. Yes. They've won a ton of titles. Um when you think about Brazilian soccer, uh, there's, I mean, there, there are other very successful clubs yeah. like Sao Paulo, Fluminense, Palmeiras, Corinthians, uh, Grêmio. Like there, there's a, there's a bunch of successful Brazilian soccer clubs, but Santos is, is one of those kind of deified yes. soccer teams. Yeah. Like the Manchester United. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Manchester United who doesn't lose to Europe in the Europa League final. <laughs> The Manchester United that's not in Europa League. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. But yeah, Kazuyoshi signed a contract with Santos. Okay. Big deal. Yeah, that's big, huge. Big deal. Uh, and he was only 19 years old at this time. We're at, now we've made it to 1986. Uh, he didn't achieve great success necessarily with the club in this first year of his contract. 
He only actually made two appearances for them. Uh, he signed a one-year contract. In that first season, he only made two appearances. They didn't renew his contract. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. But he did bounce around Brazil and made a decent professional name for himself. Okay. Appearing and scoring for clubs like Palmeiras, uh, Coritiba, uh, which is another Brazilian top yeah. team. A couple other Brazilian teams that uh, now aren't kind of – they're not like famous Brazilian teams. I'm not sure if they were in the top flight then. Uh, but but played for another couple of teams. And actually, after a couple of years, Santos re-signed him. <laughs> they, oh, wow. they They signed him again for another another one-year contract. Okay. And this time, he managed 11 appearances and nice. scored three goals for them. Hey, it's not bad. No. It's better than all. a lot of other people. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, a lot of other people. So it wasn't that... He set the world on fire in Brazil, uh-huh. per se, uh, throughout his first four years as a professional. But to the Japanese public and to the people that in Japan that like soccer, it was that he appeared at all. Yes. And that he belonged. Uh, because in total, he made nearly 100 professional appearances over four years in Brazil. Okay. So he was like, yeah, like, he wasn't a, the main guy for Santos or Palmeiras even, but like he went out and he made a living like he was a professional and he did, he did the thing. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and after nearly those a hundred professional appearances on various teams in Brazil, Kazu, as he was affectionately known, returned home to Japan signing for a club named Verdi Kawasaki, which it was actually named a different thing that I can't remember at this point in time. It became Verdi Kawasaki when the J league started, um, which happened only like a year or two after he signed. So I'm just calling them Verdi Kawasaki, which is okay. a Tokyo club. Yeah. Um, so he signed for this club in Tokyo. Verdi made an early play to be the biggest team in Japan. They were kind of like the Yankees, or I think their actual club model was to be modeled after the um, the Japanese baseball team, the Giants. I can't remember. Yeah what city there the giants are located in but the giants are like historically one of the most famous it's kind of the yankees of japan okay of japanese baseball yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's that 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 style of we're gonna sign the biggest and best players we're gonna try to win all the championships based on our spending power kind of deal yes um so it's time for that club now uh as Verdi was doing this, this was at the point in time where Japan was starting to transition into a fully professional league system. Uh, so for years, there had been kind of cup competitions and amateurish competitions. Yeah. Uh, but this was the point where the J League was like kind of getting going. Okay. And I think a lot of clubs realized that this was a big deal in Japan. Mm-hmm. And so... I, I said before that Japan was a little bit like America in terms of its soccer popularity and how they did things. And honestly, the start of the J-League, eerily similar to how MLS started. It was around the same time, and their whole thing was, let's sign any Japanese players that have been playing abroad, which was basically at this point was Kazu. Yes. Um, and also, let's see if we can sign some aging foreign soccer players that have big big names yes 
And so that is how they got Zico. Oh, no way. In his like late 30s slash early 40s. Okay. Zico played in Japan. So washed Zico. Yeah, washed Zico. <laughs> and Gary Lineker. Oh, no way. Gary Lineker played in the J League. I love that guy, man. He's <laughs> awesome. I really do like him. <laughs> yeah, so so that that was kind of what was happening at the beginning. It's similar to like, you know, MLS started and they're they're immediately like, oh, let's go get Carlos Valderrama. Yeah. Let's go get Marco Echeverri. Yeah. And also Eric Winalda. <laughs> Might as well. Might as well. Eddie Pope. There are guys. Yeah, there are guys. Yeah, no, that that's that's kind of what, what the what the deal was, what the atmosphere around a lot okay. of those early J League signings yeah. were. And so Kazuyoshi was getting in on the ground floor in Tokyo, basically. Uh, he kind of came home as more or less a famous soccer player. Oh, he's been playing in Brazil. He's yeah. famous. Yeah. He's like, he's, he's a big deal here. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what he kind of, I, I guess, came home to more or less. So in Tokyo, they were trying to build basically the best team that Japan had ever seen. And Kazu was one of those crown jewel signings. He would go on to score 100 goals in nearly 200 appearances for the club, which is an insane rate. Jeez, yeah, that's crazy. He, it was actually less than 200 appearances. So it was better than a goal every other game. Yeah, that's crazy. That, he's, that he scored for them. <laughs> um. He helped them win the inaugural J-League title as well as a repeat championship a year later. And before that, because he came a couple years before the J-League started, they actually won like basically four Japanese titles in a row. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so they were already good. Yes, they were okay. already. Yeah. They won the um, it was the Japanese Soccer League Cup. Was the was the major competition before the J League, and they won that the two years before the J League started, and then he they won the first two J Leagues. Okay, um, so they they were they completed what they wanted to do, which was let's make a dynasty. Yes, and they did that. Yes, <laughs> um, so so yeah, Kazu was on the ground floor of this this groundbreaking Verdi team, and despite the likes of. Zico and Gary Lineker being in the J League at the time, it was Kazu that won J League Player of the Year in 1993. Okay. Thanks to all the goals he yeah. was scoring. At the same time as Kazu and Verdi's success, Kazu also became a fixture on the Japanese national team. As a forward, he was on Japan's famous 1992 Asian Cup squad, which won Japan's first ever international championship. It was their first ever, like, multiple international squads are here. We win. Okay. Uh, and was the first real sporting achievement in soccer. Japan had at all since they, they did win a bronze medal of the 1968 Olympic games, which occurred when Kazu was one years old. Oh, wow. And so that was, that was the only thing they had really done in soccer of note up to that time. Yeah. Uh, and Kazu helped lead them to an Asian cup victory. Dang. Yeah. So, so basically, you're talking about now. Okay, this dude's a legend. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, absolutely. And this is around the time when 
the nickname King Kazu. I was going to say, I was waiting for the king to play a role in this. King Kazu. King Kazu. Yep. Just flows so well. It does. It's a great nickname. Almost like King Cusco. (laughs) (laughs) Shouts out to the Emperor's New Groove. (laughs) An excellent animated film. (laughs) That we love, and uh, you probably love too, listener. Yeah, I don't know anybody who hates it. <laughs> it's true. It's a great, it's well written, well acted, great music. I love it all. <laughs> now, Kazu's already legendary status in Japan only continued to grow when he continued to tread ground no other Japanese player had before. In 1994, he went on loan to Genoa becoming the first ever Japanese player to ever play in Serie A I was in Italy. Say, that's crazy. Yeah. He was Did the he first speak any Italian? Probably not. Probably not, although I'm guessing the Portuguese probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. Um just because romance languages. Yes. Uh similar similar-ish, I guess. Similar um, enough. It's it's a lot of similar even if the pronunciations aren't similar, that's a lot of similarities in spellings. So you can probably kind of figure things out from there. As long as he knew how to say pizza. I mean, that's all that really matters. <laughs> pizza. Pizza. Yeah, he just had to learn the hand gesture. The, yeah, that's really the main way pizza. to communicate in Italy, just <laughs> with the hands. He made 21 appearances for the club in Serie A. He scored one goal and received one surgery after smashing into Franco Baresi's head oh, no. in his first ever appearance. Um one of the only injury layoffs of his entire career, actually. Good for him. Uh, extremely healthy player, it must be said. That's great. And his fitness kind of became like stuff of legends. Yeah. Which is going to be important for the reasons that you will see soon enough. Uh, he returned to Tokyo after that season in Genoa and played out another four years with the club before moving somewhere new yet again. He played for a season in Croatia with Dynamo Zagreb which is one of the oh, big Croatian yeah, teams. Yeah. Uh, so basically treading new ground for, for Japanese players every which way he went. Yeah, He was the best Japanese player, the most notable Japanese player. He was just basically an idol. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's doing things that nobody's ever done before. Yeah. Um, and he could have lived like a king in Japan. Yeah. But he didn't. He, he was determined to do things elsewhere. Yeah. He actually had a trial at Bournemouth. <laughs> Oh really? That he he didn't end up he didn't end up playing for them, but he had a trial at Bournemouth, AFC Bournemouth. Yeah, uh, that that I read about. Um, that was I think that was actually right after he played in Croatia, uh, and he decided to go back to Japan yeah. instead. Okay, basically, um, it's something of a small tragedy that King Kazu never got to play in a World Cup because mm. he never got to play in a World Cup. In qualification for the 1994 World Cup, he scored 13 goals for Japan. It's a bunch of goals. Yes. But the Samurai Blue fell just short of qualifying for the 94 World Cup in the United States. Uh, they were basically one place out of qualifying. Saudi Arabia Dang. and South Korea just edged them out. Brutal. Yeah. So So he scored 13 goals. They did not manage to qualify for the World Cup. In 1997... For the 98 World Cup in France, he was back again. And again, he led the team in scoring. This time with 14 goals. Oof. And this time, Japan qualified for the World Cup. Hey, let's go. Despite that, 
the then 31-year-old was inexplicably left off of Japan's roster for France 98. What? By head coach Takeshi Okada. Are you kidding me? Not even a little bit. I looked. I looked for reasons for this. I couldn't find any. Yeah. I don't... I, like, literally... Literally, it, it but doesn't all, make any sense. It all just says, yeah, he got dropped right before the World Cup. No idea. And I have no idea if... I have no idea if, like form was an issue or they, they were just concerned about whatever. But literally I read articles from 98 slash 97 where, cause Japan kind of got kind of got put in the group of death a okay. little bit. Like yeah. they were in a group with like Argentina and a European team. And yeah. it was like, it was like tough. It's it tough. was already tough. Kazu was literally the only person, the only player that any of these other coaches knew. Like, like, literally the only person on the Japanese team that they all knew, but they all like respected the hell out of him. Yeah, they like, like the the Argentinian was like, I know they have one really, really good forward. Like, I saw him playing in Italy. He was really good. Kazu, yeah. he was good. Yeah. Like, like he was the He's one guy, person yeah. that people knew. And for whatever reason, I I could not find the reason. He was just left off. Weird man, that's weird. I, I mean, like all. It, Almost like, kind of, kind of almost like Landon Donovan. I was, gonna, was, I was thinking Landon Donovan, but I mean, I get why Landon Donovan was left off. Well, I get why Landon Donovan was left off in the sense that Landon Donovan and Jurgen Glinsman never really liked each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only thing I can come up with. Like maybe they just didn't like each other. We wanted to captive Julian Green. Maybe Kazi. <laughs> he's with the U.S. right now. Yeah, he's in the camp. <laughs> hey. Uh, the two Bundesliga legend himself. <laughs> yeah, so that's the only reason I could come up with. Japan went to the World Cup without Kazuyoshi. Uh, they lost all three of their group stage games. They scored a grand total of one goal over those three games. They gave up four. They did not finish in last place in the World Cup because... Um, the good old US of A finished in last place in that World Cup. Heck yeah. Also getting zero points from three games nice. and scoring one goal, but giving up five goals as opposed to four goals. <laughs> giving up five goals in three games, not great. Yeah, it's not, no, it's not great. <laughs> it's not what you no, want. It's not what you want. Nobody ever likes to see Especially that. Especially in a World Cup. So yeah, it was kind of a national shock. It led to even kind of his legend status being a little bit more amplified in Japan. Because now he has like a sympathy factor, but definitely a, a shock. Yes, that 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 occurred. Um, so yeah, despite the fact that he led Japan in qualifying for that World Cup in scoring far and away, and was easily one of their most experienced players, bar none. Yeah, they just didn't take him. Didn't take him to the World Cup. Strange man, so strange. Um. Now into his mid-30s, Kazu returned to Japan and played a few more years in the J-League before, at the age of 38, finally moving to Yokohama in the second tier of Japanese soccer after a very brief loan stint on yet another continent, this time with Sydney FC in Australia in 2005, where he was teammates with... A Manchester United legend. Can you guess who it was? Manchester United fan, Drew Snavely. What year is this? 2005. 2005. 
in Australia. Mm-hmm. The A League. Yep. Uh, 2005. So somebody who cemented and played for Manchester United primarily in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. And then went and played in the A-League. Yes. Um, I I don't know. He scored goals. I was going to say, Andy Cole. (laughs) Not a terrible guess. Dwight York. Dwight York. He was yeah. teammates with Dwight York. Okay. At Sydney FC. Okay. For a very short loan in 2005. Yeah. I just figured I'd bring that yeah, up because no, I that's think cool. that's, that's cool yeah. trivia. <laughs> that is really cool trivia. Um, now, this is a familiar pattern. He's 38 years old. Obviously, it's like you're at the end of your career. Yes. Kind of thing. Uh, a star now in his mid or even late 30s winds down his career at a lesser club enjoying the last vestiges of his athletic ability and popularity. You can see that happening right now with a player named Andres Iniesta, who currently plays for one of Kazu's former clubs, Vissel Kobe, in the J-League. Hey, That is happening right now. But here's the thing. Kazu's popularity and notoriety might have been complete in Japan by the time he was in his early 30s. But his legend didn't begin... Until he was 38 years old, playing for Yokohama. Because, to date, King Kazu has made 279 appearances for Yokohama. He is still playing professionally at the age of 54 years old, baby. He is still kicking it. That is nuts. Yes. It's actually something of a tradition these days that every year Kazu signs another one year contract extension <laughs> with Yokohama. That's crazy. As uh, as journalist Sean Carroll noted to the BBC, hierarchy is incredibly important in Japan anyway, but when you've contributed as much as Kazu, he pretty much has a contract as long as he wants one. Yeah. That's wild, man. Yeah. These days he usually only makes a few appearances a season. Uh, he is 54. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, might, it must be said. It takes a while to recover. But he's still one of the most popular soccer players in Japan, and Yokohama games routinely draw an extra couple thousand fans if people know that Kazu is playing that day. In 2017, Kazu scored in a J2 game against... This name is hard. You didn't look this one up. I didn't look this one up. <laughs> okay. There's just too many consonants. Yeah. Thespa Kazatsu. Okay. Gunma. Feska Pizatsu Gunma. He scored in a game against them in 2017. And he attained the Guinness World Record for oldest player to ever score a goal in a professional game at the age of 50 years and 14 days old. Jeez. Uh, he's not going to break the record for... Well, he, he probably won't. He's definitely not going yeah. to break the record for oldest person to ever play in a professional soccer game because that is held uh, by a goalkeeper, which is cheating. Um, it's an Israeli goalkeeper who appeared in a match at the age of 73. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so so I'm willing to bet that he's not going to break that yes. record. That's Pro- probably, probably not. Yeah. Probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, however, he still does dream of breaking the record of oldest player to ever score in a J-League game which is still held by Zico. 
who did it at 41 years of age. Okay. Uh, Yokohama has been playing in the second division for so long that okay. he hasn't pl- scored in a J-League game. But he does have the opportunity because he did help the team in 2019 achieve promotion ah, for so the first the time in over a decade. Wow. And they currently sit fourth in the J-League. Okay. So they're actually a good team in Japan yeah. now. Yokohama is. That's awesome. Yeah. He'll probably need to get like a penalty or something. They definitely if if Kazu is in the game and Yokohama gets a penalty, He's there's absolutely no chance that he is not taking yes, a penalty. Yes. Like absolutely none. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> if if somebody tried to take a penalty from him, they might die on the field. People might murder them. Yeah, yeah. The fans would kill them. It would it would be it would be unthinkable. Yes. While he might not play much these days, he's still indisputably one of the most popular players in the league. It's hard to overstate his his importance. Uh, This was Sean Carroll again. He is intrinsically tied up with the birth and development of professional football in Japan. He has achieved a godlike status. In some ways, I guess similar to Maradona in Argentina. He is the inspiration for now, at this point, two separate generations of Japanese soccer players. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> That's how long his career has extended. That's crazy. But as a 50-year-old, 54-year-old field player, <laughs> even one that only plays a few minutes a season at this point, everyone always wants to know one thing. What's your secret? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, how do you keep up with players three or four decades younger than yes. you? Yes. To hear him tell it, there is no secret outside of hard work. And, and yes, his fitness regime is legendary. Like it's, it's kind of the, the just almost mythological itself, like how he keeps himself in such good shape at his age. Um, but the real secret is probably something far more difficult to attain for everyone in any objective sort of way. It's what's at the heart of Kazu's entire story. And he told this. This is his words. Yeah. Yes, I still enjoy playing football every moment, he said, in 2020. Really, I enjoy it even more than when I was in Brazil. Okay. I think that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. That was just like, I still love it. Yeah. And I'm still going to play it every single day. And that's the story of the career so far of King Kazu, who is living history. Has not ended yet. Has not ended yet. Some sources for the story. Owen Amos and uh, Hideharu Tamura for the BBC. ESPN, the Asian Football Confederation. FIFA, the Japan Times. And Jamie Spencer for 90 Minutes. Incredible. Crazy stuff. And and I wanted to, I wanted to do this. And I, and I kind of looked at his stuff. And I, w- I wanted to tell this. Because it feels like... The soccer accounts on Twitter always always post whenever he signs a new contract. And it feels like there's always like this thing where like it boils down to haha, old person playing soccer still. <laughs> LOL, old guy professional uh-huh. kind of thing. And looking at a story, he deserves so much more than that. Mm-hmm. Like there is there is so much more to his story than just this is an old dude that it's still playing in Japan. He is the birth of Japanese professional soccer. 
He is Japanese soccer. This is the person that that did so much and gave so much to the entire game in his country. He deserves more than haha old guy. Yeah. And so I and so I I guess that was part I guess that was the whole reason why I wanted to to tell this story. Yeah. Because because I think that his story deserves more than that. Yeah. I'm glad you told it. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are glad that you told it as well. Yeah. It's a fascinating story that's still being told. That's still being told. Still being written. That's the great speak. thing. That's the great thing about history is, you know, a lot of these stories exist purely in the past and we can look back and laugh at how many how much things have changed. Uh and this one is kind of no different. I mean, it starts with the 1970 World Cup. Yeah. And and an eight millimeter film camera, which is which is barely used anymore, and and ends with now today still happening. Yeah, which is wild. It is. It is wild. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, awesome story. Thank you so much for telling it. Um, and may the legend continue to grow. Drew, to King Kazu. To King Kazu. Cheers. <laughs> Uh, listeners, if you enjoyed that story and would love to support the podcast, um, we're pretty active on Twitter yeah. at Deadball Pod. Yeah, Adam. Adam is always holding down the reins on the social media. I, I do be tweeting. I am a little bit uh, lacking in that in that area, but if you're ever looking for some some fresh content, he's always there posting some stuff. Um, that are related to the podcast and just related to soccer in general. So you can give us a follow there. We're also at Deadball Pod on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. If you want us to dig into a story that you feel like deserves to be shared um, and you want us to, to tell it, drop us an email. We're deadballpod at gmail.com. Um, if you want to support us monetarily, you can do that at our teespring store which is in Ooh, la, the description la. below monetary we, monetary been talking support about some different merch i know we teased it at the beginning of the second season yes and i'm putting it in quotes because the first season was like i don't know stupid long it was just it was just very <laughs> it's like a year <laughs> very very arbitrary designation that this is the second season yes <laughs> Um, but you can find that in the description below. Um, and as always, if you want to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, you can drop us a five-star review, give us a little haiku. Ooh, yeah. We'll shout you out on the podcast we like totally we did will. at the beginning of this show. And I believe that is everything. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. And as always... My name is Adam Whitaker Snavely. And I'm Drew. And we will see you again very, very soon. Make sure to give your best friend a hug. <laughs>